Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thank you, Brian. And thanks to Gil, Rick, Randy, everyone who's here behind the scenes making things happen. As you can see, we're in uh, our building instead of the works building, just as we are developing things. Uh, This is our first time using some new equipment. So uh, there's a little bit of learning factor in this, but it's great to move forward with these things because it's going to enable us to do a whole lot more in the future. And even as Brian mentioned, we need more people to be able to do these things also. Um, One of the things I forgot to let Brian know about, but it was on the picture, is we are having our uh, connect with Dr. Quinlan on Friday the 28th on Zoom, and so you can go to uh, the website and uh, see that information, I believe. Um, It is going to be on our social media um, as well. We'll let you know the address for the Zoom so that you can connect with us and Dr. Quinlan on Friday the 28th, so it's coming up here in a couple weeks. Anyway, uh, it's kind of time. It's time that we talk to the doctor again and connect with him and what's happening with us, with the world around us. Um, And you don't have to have issues to talk to the doctor, okay? Sometimes it's just good to talk with one another, and it is going to be something that we are able to do together and you're able to engage in. So I know it's another way for people to connect. And connection is so important with all the things that we are doing here. Um, I I do want to pause this morning as we begin and pray, um, pray for, again, all the things that are happening with us in our world and for some people and things that we know that are happening. Father, we are aware, God, of the needs that are around us, Uh, financial needs, Lord, those who are needing work and employment. Lord, I, I pray for Kirk and all the things that are happening in his life that you would provide for him, Lord, even as he's not getting uh, the disability and it looks like that's going to be the case with him. May you provide work for him. May you provide strength for his body and the ability, Lord, to move forward. I I pray for Randy and his employment that you provide work for him. I pray for Alex Aliva, Lord, and her family and her grandfather who's in the hospital and the emotion and difficulty that that family is facing right now. In in all these areas and in so many more, Father, we pray that your presence be apparent, be felt, and influence our thoughts, our actions, 
our interactions, Lord, that it would affect the interaction with employment opportunity, with uh, phone conversations with doctors, Lord, that your spirit would work in and through all these situations. And, And this morning as well, God, may our time together be opportunity for you to do something in us, to do something that will grow that might be used by us. Father, I thank you for everyone who is a part of this community. May you continue to knit our hearts together even as we are distancing. And I pray for Genesis, Lord, with the changes that are taking place, Lord, to help us connect better to our community, to each other, and to the work that you're calling us to do. I am excited, Lord, about what you are doing. I'm scared about what is all happening, and I know that you are in the middle of it, Lord. I'm scared not because I'm afraid of the situation. It's just different. And so there's a little uneasiness with all the things happening, but with that is also the excitement. Anyway, God bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning, I'm excited about this morning. I've just been influenced by so many things that I hope will be just game changers for you as well. This morning, I'm going to talk about shame and celebration, Newsweek magazine, the Western Wall in Jerusalem, relationships, atoms, and quantum entanglement. That's right. We're getting scientific today. And the power of a story. We're in Daniel chapter 6. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Daniel chapter 6. As you remember, last week there was a change taking place. We saw the name Darius come up for the first time at the end of chapter 5, and this is where we begin in chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. In other words, these people were going to govern for him so that the, the kingdom could run smoothly and not decline. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, Darius is the third figure we see in power here. And remember, the whole point of this book is to show the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And even from the statue in chapter 2 by Nebuchadnezzar in his dream, we saw this kind of continuation, this change that kept taking place until finally the stone that was not cut with human hands came and overcame them all. We see the figure, Darius, 
And we see Daniel continuing through this. And this is something to remember as it's a part of this story. And in this story, very similar to that of Joseph in Genesis, where Joseph came and was in charge of Pharaoh and started to run basically the kingdom so that things could run smoothly, we see that Daniel is one of these kinds of people. He's a person of character. He's a person, it says, that he is faithful, Now, what was he faithful to? He was faithful to his job, to making things run smoothly, to making sure that the kingdom and his obligation to it was done correctly. And so because of this, he is noticed by Darius and he is elevated and that he's planning to put him in charge, but we see that there's opposition. Why, right? Why are they jealous? Do they want the recognition? Do they want the power, the king's ear, the king's favor? And, and why is it that for us to succeed, we think others need to fail? Why do they need to fail so that we succeed? Why can't we celebrate the success of those who are maybe not in our party, Right? Uh, why wouldn't I want whoever is in charge to do well, whether it's the president or the governor? Why wouldn't I want them to succeed? Why wouldn't I want to be a part of whatever this was and do the best I could to make sure that it was effective and helpful for everyone? I I got a message on uh, Facebook, and I'm sure you guys are getting these messages too. Someone sent me a message, and it was, a video of a political figure. I'm not going to mention names here, but it was doctored. And it was doctored so that it was actually slowed down so that they appeared to be drunk. And I had heard about this already. And so I verified, yeah, you know, this this is a doctored video that's meant to make this person seem as if they are intoxicated. And so I shared that. Why Do we want to shame someone? Even if I disagree with them, what good is shaming them? How is that going to help our climate and our situation? And they responded back saying, I disagree with everything they say. And I said, I understand that, but how is shaming them going to make things better? And that's what we see with these officials. It's like for us to get our power, our recognition, we need to, in a sense, dethrone Daniel from where he's at. Yet we see that he has an excellent spirit in him. How important is that? How important is character? Not just for political individuals or religious figures, but for us as people to be people of character. How important is it that we are people who are genuine, who when someone talks to us, They know that we are going to take what they give us and take it as sacred. We're not going to spread gossip. We're not going to slander. We're not going to misuse information for our own satisfaction or gain. How important is character? I mean, Paul talks about it in Ephesians. It's a whole part of the armor of God. That is the character. And that's one of the things I talk about in the newsletter that's coming up later today, actually. We see that with Daniel. 
that he is a person of character that is faithful to his job so the king recognizes it and elevates him. It goes on in verse six. It says, these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any God or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. They start with an almost truth, right? They said, all the high officials, well, not Daniel. He was one of them. They, they kept it from him. Everyone has agreed except the one we want to keep in the dark. Why didn't the king notice this? Why wasn't he aware that they were setting a trap? Why didn't he recognize, well, Daniel probably won't go in line with this, or maybe this could be detrimental to what we want to do? Well, he was blinded by ego, right? He, he had this puffing up saying, king, man, it's all about you. And I don't know about you, but when ego gets involved, it's amazing the things that can happen to us. I remember when I was still in high school, I've got to preface this to time so I don't get in trouble here. It was back in, in, well, it's a long time ago. I was managing a guitar store in Pomona. And as I was there at the store, this young lady came into the store and she started remarking about how nice the store was. And I was, you know, there tuning some instruments and I think I played something to try and impress her, you know. And she's, oh, you play so well. And, and she was just complimenting it. And I was like a sponge. I was just soaking it up. Long story short, she left having sold me a subscription to Newsweek magazine that I have never read, right? And it wasn't even Time magazine. It was Newsweek, right? Right? How did this happen? How did I get sucked into this? Well, it was my ego, right? It was involved, and this was BC days, right? This was before Kareem. So <laughs> it was something that I bought into because it stroked the ego. And so we see that happening with the king here. He's blinded by his ego, and we see that this is something that takes place. Now, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Now, this account brings to mind something that is written in 1 Kings when Solomon is dedicating the temple. And he says, God, the heavens can't contain you, but when people pray towards this, your temple, may you hear and may you answer. Even if it's a foreigner and even if it's in a time of exile, may you remember when we pray here. And so we see Daniel reminiscent of this praying towards the temple because it is a reminder, a hope that God is hearing and God will answer even as King Solomon established that temple, even though the temple had now been destroyed. 
we see that there is hope. It happens to this day, even in Jerusalem with the Western Wall, when they will get and they will pray towards where the temple was, right? They know the temple's gone, but there is the remembrance of what they had and the promises that God made that they hold on to, and it is embodied by them facing in this direction. And that's what we see Daniel doing. Now, as followers of Jesus, we now pray our prayers offered to God through Jesus. And Jesus, who somehow has taken the place of the temple and now has also made us part of that temple, becoming living temples, not restricted to geography, right? But now a living temple. And so Christ, now we pray through Jesus to God. So in a sense, instead of facing the temple, we face Jesus who represents God to us. And through him, we communicate to God who is beyond our ability to fully understand, but we can grasp hold of Jesus. And now, in this situation, part of me looks at Daniel and is just in awe of his uncompromising devotion to God. That he heard the edict and he went to this place to pray in the upper room there with the windows open. And part of me says, man, what a man of devotion. Knowing that they made this edict, he still goes and he still prays. And then part of me says, dude, why didn't you just close the windows? Right? You could still pray. You could still be devoted to God, but you could close the windows since you knew this was an edict and you knew they would try and catch you and that way you wouldn't get in trouble. Okay, maybe that's just me. Maybe you guys are like, no, no, I don't do that. I'm just devote like Daniel. But me, I don't want to be thrown into a den of lions. I'm like all about that self-preservation. And martyrdom is a tricky thing. It's very individualistic in that the circumstances play such a huge role. We see an account in... Elisha, when he heals Naaman, the Syrian commander, and when he heals him in 2 Kings, Syrian, or the Naaman comes back to Elijah and he says, I want you to forgive me when I go into the temple of Rimnon and bow with my king there. May the Lord have mercy on me when I do this bowing before this other God because I really want to worship the real God. And Elisha says, don't worry about it. Go your way and go in peace, right? And so we see there that there isn't this conflict. We saw in chapter two, when King Nebuchadnezzar offered burnt offerings and sacrifice to Daniel and honored him, Daniel didn't resist that, but he's resisting here. We even see in the early church when they were being martyred for their faith, they would meet secretly as not to be persecuted. They would leave little symbols to let other followers know that we are meeting here, but it was done secretly so that they wouldn't be put into jeopardy, wouldn't be martyred. Why is there such a difference? And When is it important for a person to hold unwavering to their beliefs? And when is it better not to be so rigid? 
And I don't know that there's a clear answer, but what I think we see is that it seems there is a core to belief that is there even when silent. In other words, it's not shaken and it's not compromised. The person's faith is still there. Their belief is there, even in spite of it being silent. Many times when people are boisterous, they're making up for a lack of character. And sometimes boisterous is not really what we see here in Daniel. And so we have an early church that is hiding to not be persecuted, but is still sharing their faith with others that's putting them in danger of being persecuted. And it's almost like, well, to further this gospel message, we need to make sure we're not going to get persecuted, but we are not gonna stop sharing this gospel message, even though it is going to lead to us being persecuted. And so this line is not really always clear, but it's something where that faith never changes. With Naaman, he did not compromise his faith. He bowed his knee, but his faith to God remained true. And so I don't think it's a a clear-cut answer, but Daniel felt he needed to keep the windows open, and he did. And I think it's for our benefit, even what we're reading here. We continue in verse 12. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, now know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. We again see there's a relationship between Daniel that he made with the king, which makes the king want to rescue Daniel. He he is there and he sets his mind to deliver him and he labors to do it because of who Daniel is to the king. And and I believe this is at the heart of, of what is needed in our lives is relational connection, right? Remember Nebuchadnezzar and when Daniel's friends disobeyed and didn't worship the the idol, he was furious and went and grabbed hold of them and threw them into the furnace and then they were delivered. That's not the case with Daniel. He's not mad at Daniel. He, in a sense, is mad at himself and wants to deliver Daniel. Why? Because of who Daniel is. Who are you to people? Do people want to work for your benefit because of who you are to them? Do they see you as someone who's family, someone who they love, someone who they care about, where when you hurt, they hurt? Or how do you feel about other people? 
Because this is an important equation to the relationship that Daniel has with this king, where the king says, oh no, what have I done? And he's grieved because of what's happening here and wants to help Daniel. Remember Jesus told the story of the shrewd manager who who went and made and settled all the debts of his owner at the owner's expense. And Jesus tells him, friends, use mammon or wealth so that when it fails, they may rescue you into eternal dwelling. In other words, you have relationships that are carrying you past the time of difficulty. And we see that taking place in Daniel. Verse 16, then the king demanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Notice verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled him. This has a a shadow of the tomb that Jesus was buried in and the stone was rolled over it. It's very picturesque and it was used in the time of the early followers of Christ to remind them of God's working and deliverance. But something is happening here and I hope you can indulge me as I wander for a minute. But it's got a purpose that I think is exciting and and I found very encouraging. Um, I hope also that those of you who are studied in these things will be merciful to me who am not, right? I'm less than a layman when it comes to the idea of physics. But one of the things that I saw here as I was studying about this and just other things that were coming in was the finding of physics coming out of Einstein's theory of relativity, right? And that matter is a form of energy and energy is a form of matter while conserving mass. And and this led to all sorts of experiments like the double slit experiment where they put two slits in a wall and would shoot a beam of electrons or particles through these slits to see how they behaved, right? And so... When they shine light through these slits, this is so cool. You get to see it right here and I get to see it right there. See, when you see, oh, I got to do it this way. When you see the light going through these and it's light like that of a laser, it's light that's unfiltered. It doesn't have just two beams. It spreads out and kind of diffuses because light acts as a wave, not a particle. And so this is what we see happening with a wave of light. As opposed to a particle, if you had a particle like sand has all these particles and when you drop the sand through the two slits, you see there's two rows of the sand accumulating underneath because that's what particles do. Well, they start thinking of atomic particles and what happens to atomic particles when we shoot them through these two slits. And what they found is when they shoot atomic particles through two slits, they act more like a wave than a particle. And so as they shoot them through the two slits, they have something that captures and records where they hit. And you see the pattern here where they show up and more like a waveform than 
a particle form. And, and so that brings up a lot more questions and they start doing a lot more studies trying to figure it out. So they want to know, well, maybe all these atoms are colliding together as they're going through this two slits and then they're bouncing off each other and creating this pattern. So they shoot one atom at a time through the slits and they start making this random pattern. And as they do this over a period of hours, they start sending millions of atoms, but eventually, one at a time, they come up with the wave pattern. And this has them puzzled. Why are atoms that are particles acting like waves? Why are they, even when sent one at a time, dispersing as if it were light? And so they want to record it. And so what they do is they set up a way to detect them, an atom detector that is going to modern moderate these things and monitor them. And so what they do is they put a monitor there on the other side of the slits to see how the atoms function. And they put it over just the top one. And they get 50% of the atoms recorded, which makes sense. 50% are going to go through the top and 50% will go through the bottom. And when they do it, it comes out like a particle. Why? All of a sudden, when we record it, when we monitor it, when we observe it, it changes from a waveform to a particle. So they're thinking now, well, maybe it's just this instrument that is there. So what they do is they secretly go and unplug the, the monitoring device to try and trick these atoms to make them think, oh, we're filming you, but they really aren't. And what happens when they record it again? It shows back up as a waveform. The monitoring it, just observing it, changes its behavior. That's freaky, right? That is freaky. It's just, they're astounded. How does just observing something change the way it functions on a molecular level? When we watch it, it behaves like it's supposed to, kind of like kids, right? You watch them, they behave. But when we turn away from it, it acts the way it's not supposed to, kind of like kids. You turn your eye from them, and the next thing you know, your dog's covered in peanut butter, right? It's like, what happened? It changed after observing it to now, look at it, it's acting like a wave again. This leads to more understanding, and one of the things that it led to in this progress that I was looking at was quantum entanglement, right? Quantum entanglement. And again, forgive me, those of you guys who know what's going on. Quantum entanglement is when you get a particle that's been divided by a wave, and now it's two particles. These two particles are spinning all at just random rates and random speeds. And then when you focus to measure it, it immediately stops. Again, why? Why does it stop when it's monitored? And so this random rotation that's taking place automatically stops. And if we look at one of the particles, all of a sudden we see that it is spinning clockwise. And so it's kind of spinning this way and pointing up. Well, if they look at this particle spinning up, they know that the next particle is actually spinning down. It's doing the opposite. 
And they know that it happens every time, 100% of the time. They're both spinning. We look at one, it's going up. The other one's going down immediately. And it doesn't matter how far you separate these particles. You could have them feet apart. You could have one in New York and one in California. And as soon as they stop and monitor it, it immediately will stop. And the other one will immediately be in the opposite direction. They are communicating faster than the speed of light. We don't know how. There is something intrinsic between them connected relationally in some way that they're still trying to figure out. And they have all kinds of mathematical formulas to try and figure out, well, there's something in the particle itself but they don't know. All they know is when they monitor one immediately, the other one is monitored too. When the other one stops and they see what direction it's spinning, the other one is automatically spinning in the opposite direction. And you could have one on earth and one on the moon and all of a sudden monitor them and immediately they would be in opposite directions. Einstein called this spooky, right? I think it's kind of spooky too, but kind of cool. Now, Sam, what does this have to do with Daniel. Absolutely nothing. I just thought it's called cool. no. What if when we pray? What if consciousness like the ability to see a particle changes it? What if when we pray it actually changes things even on a molecular level that we don't understand? We pray, we think, we fast, and we're actually affecting matter itself. We know that prayer has an effect on the human brain and our biological well-being. But if consciousness affects matter, being aware of something affects how it acts. Imagine the effect of prayer that it has on the world around us by thinking, by focusing, by observing, and by praying. How are things changed? You see, they don't even know what's going on until they focus on it, and then it changes, and then it's over. How does God, prayer, and consciousness, and matter all work together? I have no idea. I don't know. No no one does. What role did the thoughts and fastings of the king have on Daniel's circumstances? I think the world is much more mysterious than we ever imagine. And I think prayer and its effects are impossible to monitor, but much more powerful than we understand. That I can actually focus and pray and God can hear in this mysterious universe and molecularly things are changed. Have you ever thought about someone and then they called you? Right? What if some molecular thing is happening in your brain that then somehow transmits to their brain? I don't know. But something's going on. And and you see, the point is, if we know scientifically that things happen when they are observed, then we know that there is a spiritual world there. Things happen when we pray, when we focus, when we give attention to, 
it affects not only us, but the circumstances in some way. And I think that is so cool. And I I think that mystery should encourage us and give us hope that by our lives, by the things that we pray for, by the things that we think and do, we can actually change the world around us. That it's not far-fetched that the world can be changed by prayer and by how we think and act. I think it affects the world in more ways than we know. And verse 19, it goes on. He says, then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. I I think this is so interesting. First off, Daniel doesn't say, I saw an angel. He just thinks this is what happened, right? An angel has closed the mouths of the lions. A messenger from God has brought this deliverance because I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong before God. And he also says, I wasn't wrong before you. See, my praying to God did not take away from my devotion to you and my service to you, king. I did you no harm by having this devotion to God. And he was able to say that because it was true. He was faithful in his position. He was a person of character. And his devotion to God didn't make him less. It made him more to the king. And so he was found blameless there. Verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who made maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. Okay, that's a little extreme. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. We see, again, the vicious time and the way that they conducted themselves. It's not a condoning of this kind of behavior. It's just what the king did, and this is how it shows up. We see a culmination of the first part of this book, and there's going to be a transition into the next chapter and throughout the book. But the first chapter, we saw that Daniel put it in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. He was going to remain faithful to his God. We saw in chapter three that his friends refused to bow to the statue and were delivered from the fiery furnace just as they were delivered into a position of success by abstaining from the meats that the king and the foods and wines that the king offered. And here Daniel refuses to pray to the king And again, he's delivered, this time from the lion's den. These stories filled people with hope. Those who were facing the struggles and the exile by Syria or by Rome, people would read this and they would 
have hope rekindled in them because they remembered when a mighty power was resisted and God heard and delivered. And I think that's what happens to us in stories. Stories are meant to help us through times, to to see past them, to be encouraged in the middle of them. It's meant to do the same thing for us today in the condition of our world, in the turmoil, the feelings of helplessness, the feelings of out of control. We read a story and we understand that God still is in control, that God still does deliver. The despair and hopelessness we feel, they're temporary. Because kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And we're seeing a picture of that show up in the person of Daniel. See in verse 25, the king Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now we see, again, a change of things happen. Didn't we hear this before with Nebuchadnezzar? Doesn't this seem like a reoccurring thing? You know what it is. It's going to be a reoccurring thing. It's going to be a reoccurring thing in your life. It's a reoccurring thing in my life. You know, God delivers. Oh, we feel this victory. Things are going great. And then we have trouble. Oh man, things are bad. Oh boy, things are rough. Jesus said, be of good courage. In the world, you're going to have trouble. I've overcome the world. So you're going to go through it. You're going to go through the tribulation. You're going to go into the lion's den. You're going to go into the fire first. You're going to suffer these things. It's going to happen. There's a promise, right? Hey, you're going to suffer. Hey, God knows it. God is going to deliver. And listen to this pagan king's decree of his friend's God and let it shape our consciousness. Let it monitor our thoughts as they align with our creator. He says, for he, speaking of Daniel's God, is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. These words are meant to encourage us. He delivers, he rescues. He works signs and wonders. I wish all our stories ended like this one. I wish everyone was delivered from the lion's den. But you and I know that's not the case. We know that early followers of Jesus were fed to the lions, were martyred in this way and gave their lives. But how do these words fit in there? How, how does this take place? Again, I think everything is working and God is working in everything where their suffering and their lives were not in vain. 
Your life and suffering is not in vain. The rippling effects of those who were martyred in Jesus' name changed the world. It's like those molecules that went through that one little divide and then they spread and they accomplished much more than anyone ever thought they were would. Who knew that these people sacrificing in these ways, giving themselves in this way could cause such a rippling effect that would affect the world? Who knew that you and I going through the things that we go through, do it with character, can have a rippling effect to the people around us, to the world around us, can make a difference that is going to be lasting past your and my suffering. You see, the suffering will come and it will go, but the one who does the will of God will abide forever. The ripples of how we live at this time cannot be measured with the eye. We, we don't see it, we don't fully understand it, but it can be measured in the heart of God as it shapes the world around us. Don't give up, don't give in, don't underestimate the ability to change the lives of those around you with your faith, your prayer, your character of life. Let's pray. Father, may we take courage from this story and accept it in our lives today. May we Look at the models here and see where we fit. Are we like Darius and egocentric and filled with self? Are we like the other people who wanted to put him down because they feared for their position, jealous? Lord, we desire to be like Daniel, faithful, uncompromising, committed to you. Maybe we even become like Darius who was egocentric and later opened his eyes and interceded for his friend. Lord, help us to learn from this story that you work in mysterious ways. And those who sought to extinguish Daniel's control in a mysterious way actually elevated it. Father, may we be people of character, committed to you, loving you, serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. May we understand that in him we live and move and have our being, that the thoughts and intents of our heart affect the world around us, And may this not cause us to fear, but to be excited that the God of love has put within us the ability to change the world around us by loving like he loves and having the character he desires for each of us. God bless you guys. Miss you. Hope to see you guys soon. Again, be praying for us as a lot of things are happening, changes we're making to try and make life better as we move forward with the way things are. God bless you guys. We love you. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you 
for listening.